podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there guys, what is going on? Daniel Childs back here again for another edition of Let's Talk Chelsea. Hope you're having a good week. We're nearly there in terms of the weekend, which is good. And the return of Chelsea at Stamford Bridge against Aston Villa. If you don't have notifications turned on, please go and do so to get the latest content from this channel. Chelsea news, reviews, previews, all of that good stuff. Today's show, we're going to be looking at a few things. So I've got some opinions on Mikhailo Mudrik, some of the criticism, unfair criticism, I think he's faced over this international break and kind of his place at Chelsea as a young player. Then we're going to look at Wesley Fofana. There's a really interesting piece that's come out recently from Sky Sports that looks at the positive impact Fofana has had, particularly from a tactical point of view and positioning point of view as a defender that I definitely think we should go into and what it says about Fofana and what he's providing to Chelsea. The last thing then is the Chelsea pitch owners and the potential move and the future of Stamford Bridge, whether Chelsea are going to stay, redevelop Stamford Bridge or potentially move out some of the drama faux drama potentially that isn't really there over where Chelsea could move and whether there actually is strong opposition to where Chelsea could move. We'll get into that stuff as well. So as I said, if you're new around here, hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. Son of Chelsea is a part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. Going to start with Mudrik and this isn't based on a story, you know, there, there isn't like some big revelation here of update regarding his future. It was just something I wanted to respond to because I have seen some I'd say criticism, but kind of just outlandish takes around Mudrik in recent days. And particularly following the the game between England and Ukraine. And this is not a surprise because people get very bored during the international break. Which is why we usually see some kind of Henri and Drogba kind of debate crop up. Or Lampard, Gerrard on social media. You know, it's usually that's when people bring up these old debates because they have nothing better to do. But in the case of this... I felt and I just knew that that game on Sunday between England and Ukraine that featured Mikhailo Mudrik would create drama of some kind and would create an overreaction either way. If Mudrik had a really good game, maybe scored a goal, contributed to something, had a good performance, it would be used as a stick to beat Graham Potter with because he hasn't been playing him as much as maybe he should have in recent weeks. If he doesn't play well, which he didn't really, didn't have any impact on the game, but to be fair, England played pretty well and I wouldn't really blame Mikhailo Mudrik solely for that. I think England are, are looking good at the moment. And we're expected to win that game. Now there's questioning of why Chelsea bought him. Now there's questioning over his potential. And, you know, have Chelsea bought another dud effectively? And to make that firm conclusion right now, you know, I think some people do have this persona of just saying outlandish things because they know it gets traction. It's kind of the unfortunate talk sportification of football media. And you see it so often now where it's just about sound bites. It's just about taking an extreme position. Even if, you know, it's, it's sometimes very transparent that the person saying it doesn't really believe what they're saying or just because they know it gets a reaction. Now, when Mikhailo Mudrik signed for Chelsea, you know, I wasn't fully sold on spending that amount on him. Mainly, if you watched the video when I the news broke on that Sunday morning, I think it was before the Palace game where he was actually unveiled. And, you know, I talked about Mudrik coming in and I said, you know, my big concern was not investing in a more serious area for me of the squad and that was central midfield this was before we bought Enzo Fernandez and my concern of bringing in a young player who was quite raw and his development being managed properly and I think that Chelsea have handled it you know interestingly you know at times I would have liked to have seen him come off the bench 
but I don't mind being a little bit more patient and being a little bit more reserved to integrate Madrick into things if he is raw, if he is struggling, if he's, you know, adapting to not only a new league, you know, a new country, a new culture. These are all variables that unfortunately I don't think we take into account sometimes when we are talking about human beings, particularly young footballers moving to a new place, a new environment, and as well being Ukrainian, what the people of Ukraine have had to deal with over the past year. So all of those things factored in to make a firm judgment on whether Madrid is going to be good enough for Chelsea or not right now and to kind of, you know, flip-flop between he's amazing, he's not, it is silly, obviously. And and it's a long-term investment. And even if he doesn't have the best end to this season coming up, you still don't write him off. You wait until the summer where he gets a full preseason with the squad, with whoever the head coach is, whether that's Graham Potter or not. And then we move from there, you know, because this is a young guy who was in brief flashes shown... Yeah, he can offer something very exciting in the future. So I just wanted to say that on Mudrick, and I say it about a lot of young players, how you can make firm judgments on young players, even if they do play a lot of games, you know, ones who, you know, 23, 24, 25 are going to be, you know, and moving into their prime years are going to be a very different player. I think, you know, I, I keep on bringing him up, but Marcus Rashford is such a great example this year where many people had a firm sort of judgment on Rashford last season. Would have never expected that he would have turned out to be, you know, he had the talent to do it, but, you know, would anyone 12 months ago believe that Rashford would be up there in terms of the scoring charts? I don't think many would. So, you know, Mudrick, let's give him time and see how he does. The second thing regards another young player in uh, Wesley Fofana and kind of how well he's doing for Chelsea and sort of the impact, positive influence he's had since returning from injury. This is a piece from Sky Sports. Fofana's physicality, defensive prowess and ball-carrying ability is making the difference for Chelsea regarding Fofana and his positive impact for Chelsea. Chelsea and how Chelsea are able to be more proactive on the pitch. So firstly, let's look at this graphic here, which is Chelsea with and without Fafana starting from Sky Sports. So all competitions this year. So we've had him for eight games this season, which is incredible and without for 29. So that's almost a full Premier League season, not too far off it, which says a lot about his injury problems this season. We've won six with him, drawn one with him and only lost one with him. That you know, it's a 75% win rate compared to a 31 uh, win percent rate without him, uh, where we've won nine, drawn eight and lost 12. So you've seen the impact there. Of course, we need a bigger sample size, but that in itself is, is a good starting position for Fafana to, to have that. His average positions, I think, is more of the interesting part here, the graph that they bring up. Um, so for those listening on the audio, Chelsea's average positions is what they're looking at here. And it's the Premier League since Graham Potter was appointed. Without Wesley Fafana starting versus with Fafana starting. On the left, without, you see that Chelsea, from a defensive aspect, um, sit a little bit deeper. Though with Fafana, we're able to press up a lot more, which isn't that surprising when you think about Fafana's style as a defender. He is a proactive defender. He likes to engage the opponent quite quickly. You know, I'd say he's more in the mold of, say, an Antonio Rudiger type player. We saw that, and that was of great benefit to Rudiger last season in Tuchel's system, is he, he wants to engage. It's like a lot of modern defenders, right? They want to engage. They want to press up. They want to try and win the ball and try and get a turnover and that's what Fofana brings you but also because he has the mobility to cover the space behind him that maybe allows Chelsea to be a little bit more risky and allow to commit more more men forward and particularly if you're a coach like Graham Potter a bit like Tuchel wants to control possession wants to gain territory wants to control the flow of the game that's really important particularly if you're building up from defense Uh, you need those defenders to not only be comfortable in possession but maybe sit on the halfway line, which happens a lot of the time at Stamford Bridge when we're coming up against low blocks. So that in itself is a positive. I think that Fafana 
Hopefully, as he plays a little bit more of Rhys James, if those two are on the pitch consistently, can form a greater connection. Because I still felt, and this is a criticism against uh, Everton, I felt at times Fofana could have played in and could maybe those two form a connection a lot more. Because that was my excitement signing Fofana, those two working together and actually allowing Rhys James a license to move forward a lot more because he has the cover of a quicker Fafana than, say, Aspilicueta was behind him. That was a massive problem last season. And there's a stark difference between having a back four, a back three of Aspilicueta, Koulibaly, Silva, compared to having Fafana, Koulibaly, Badiashile, who, of course, has, has come in and had a really good impact uh, since signing from Monaco in January. So that is all very exciting, and particularly with Levi Colwell potentially returning Hopefully we will see more graphs like this in the future where Chelsea are able to be a lot more proactive in their defending and hopefully Fafana stays fit and that win rate gets even better for him at Chelsea. The final thing to speak about today is Stamford Bridge and the future of Chelsea Stadium. We have spoken about this in recent weeks and I think it was a Matt Law piece on kind of the potential redevelopment of Stamford Bridge. This is slightly different in regards to a move out of Stamford Bridge to Else Court. This comes from a Times piece by Henry Winter. Chelsea face a furious backlash if Todd Bowley opts for Else Court move. And in the piece, there's a quote from one prominent fan involved in the anti-Ells Court group uh, that says, if they consider Ells Court, we might see the same supported demonstrations that put paid to the European Super League in 2021. It goes on to say that Todd Bowley has to give a guarantee that Chelsea will stay at the bridge. Out of the 13 London clubs, only one has ever moved home, Chelsea. Before we go into kind of my feelings on this and some other stuff, Else Court Development Company have tweeted a statement today saying that they categorically deny that there were any talks taking place with Chelsea about a stadium relocation to the Else Court site. Um, there is no football stadium in our master plan. So a lot of reaction to this. I mean, hearing the, the phrase anti-Else Court kind of group or movement is news to me. Now, I think a lot of this leans into the Chelsea pitch owners, which are going to have a defining part in this, whatever happens with Stamford Bridge. They just are. And I think that's right. And, you know, I, I would say before we get into why the, you know, Chelsea pitch owners is a very important part of Chelsea historically. And there's a very good reason for it. And I'm not sure, you know, to people listening and viewing my channel, if you live outside the UK, I'm not sure how much access there is to this documentary recently that came out called Poundland that BT Sport did. It was a really, really good documentary on Chelsea's history and particularly this period that was that basically created and formed the Chelsea pitch owners and why it's important. Uh, I definitely suggest, you know, club historian Rick Glanville, great guy, was on there talking about Chelsea, um, many of the, the players involved and also um, Chris Wright is a great Chelsea fan who's a CFC UK fans contributor um you know has written books about Chelsea's history so I definitely suggest go and watch it if you haven't because it explains in a lot of great detail narratively that period and particularly the Chelsea pitch owners and why it's important as a supporter if you want to have your say in this to buy a stake because effectively what it does is it prevents Chelsea losing Stamford Bridge and being forced out of Stamford Bridge. You know, you go back to the 80s which is a lot of what Poundland delved into at the time. Uh the Chelsea were under threat you know, from property developers who wanted to kind of change Stamford Bridge from a football stadium into a big housing development. And Ken Bates, the chairman at the time, massively uh, opposed this. He obtained a freehold of the ground in the early 90s. The CPO was created. The club loaned the CPO money to pay for the freehold. And effectively, then the CPO would pay the club back over time. And then the CPO would allow fans to buy shares in the pitch effectively and to keep Chelsea inside Stamford Bridge and to keep Chelsea in their spiritual home effectively and this was a lot of the stuff that we were speaking about last year with the golden share if you remember that you know a lot of the stuff that the Chelsea Supporters Trust I'm also a member of 
you know, were kind of uh, very much spearheading this to the new, the potential new owners, whoever they were going to be at the time, almost, yeah, effectively 12 months ago now of, you know, making sure that Chelsea remained Chelsea, that we don't have an MK Don situation, the most famous one kind of in English football of, of the last 20, 30 years of, you know, that, that situation not repeating um, at Chelsea. And that is obviously of, of great concern. So having a, a Chelsea pitch owner's share is important. I mean, potentially as well, you could maybe meet a player on the pitch and get it presented to you. You get a signed one. I've got Ben Chirwell. I think I, I got it in um, 2021 and and people have several shares. And it's also, you know, if you want to join good company, Thomas Tuchel, Frank Lampard, Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho are some of the people who also have shares of the Chelsea pitch owner. So I definitely suggest, you know, it, and, it, and if you want to have a say on this, this is what is going to be defining. Now, it'd be silly of me to tell you that, you know, whether it's the CPO or people who, who own shares and the CPO, all feel the same way about this issue. That's obviously very silly. Some people would want to stay at Stamford Bridge and feel very much opposed to any movement and believe that we should stay at Stamford Bridge. I get the sense that out of the places Chelsea could move in London that's local, that would be in Kensington and Chelsea, or just even though we would be technically moving Borough here from uh, Hammersmith and Fulham to, to Kensington and Chelsea, to be in that local area, that vicinity of places and, and that area that Chelsea fans have become accustomed to when walking down to Stamford Bridge on a match day. I think Elscourt is probably one of the better and probably the best solution if you want to keep Chelsea in its local area um, and potentially would mean not having to move out of Stamford Bridge whilst that development is taking place. I mean, whether Elscourt kind of their development uh, company, whether that statement is just kind of for now and whether over a period of time that would change. But you know, this is going to be a debate and I think it's a debate that needs to happen because the future of Chelsea, I think, is very important. And I've consistently said this and it was a part of the sale last year. The I think having a new stadium of some kind, whatever it is, I think is kind of a landmark thing for this new ownership. But I think what they need to be careful of is not having a situation arose under the previous ownership where you have kind of that opposition and, and there's a sense that they are looking to kind of disrespect the CPO and the history of the CPO and what it means to Chelsea and very much keeping Stamford Bridge and, and how special that is because it's it would be a massive decision to leave Stamford Bridge like a lot of us even if I would be open to an else call um, move emotionally the attachment to Stamford Bridge the, the walk to Stamford Bridge all those things are very very important but I've talked about my criticisms of Stamford Bridge as, as kind of a as Chelsea become bigger and kind of the the match day experience not being that great, particularly if you sit in certain sections of the ground, particularly certain concourses that aren't just just not fit for purpose with the demand of um, capacity on a match day. So those things need to be hashed out. But I would say watch Poundland if you haven't already. It's a great documentary to brush up on your Chelsea history if you're a younger Chelsea fan. But also it very much explains to you why it was so important that the CPO was formed and why if you want to be involved in this process, I suggest go and buy a share. Uh, because, you know, it gives you a cool frame to put on your wall, but then also it, it gives you a chance to have a say in the future of Chelsea, whatever way you feel. So that is it for today's edition of Let's Talk Chelsea. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to watch and listen to it. You can follow me on Twitter, at Son of Chelsea, and I will see you again very soon. All the best. Podcast Network.